0: You are listening to a message from the Living Word Community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Dan is such a merciful guy. Sometime when we're alone, I'll tell you a few other things about him that you may not know. <laughs> but I wouldn't do that in public. Maybe maybe a little, but not a lot. Besides Dan, I just wanted to also express uh, appreciation to the, and gratitude to the Lord for our worship team once again today. Um, it's just a, a privilege and a joy to worship the Lord under their direction. And uh, there are two things I really like about our worship team. Uh, one is that they're great musically, and uh, we have a range, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. We cover the, the highest registers with our flute and the lowest registers with our bass guitar. Uh, but the thing I like about them, even better than their musical expertise, is that they're not performers. In fact, if we offered to double their salary, they'd probably yawn. But uh, what they are, instead of being performers, is their worshipers. And that's why it's such an honor and a blessing to, uh, to serve the Lord with them and uh, our dance team also. So praise the Lord for that. Well, I'm opening my Bible to John chapter 4 this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible with you uh, or one nearby, I would be delighted, delighted if you would join me in the fourth gospel, the fourth chapter, John chapter 4 we're going to be sharing some verses together from John chapter 4 this morning and I just want to mention that uh, the Lord has been saying a lot of things to us through the scriptures lately and and been teaching us richly through his word and he's doing it today at Harvey Cedars and has been this weekend to our youth through their leaders down there and uh So we're just part of the fabric of all the teaching God has been giving to us. And last Sunday, my brother Dave Freer was standing here in this spot, and he preached a powerful message from Isaiah chapter 65. And he was talking about God's remnant, about those who in the midst of an age of idolatry and spiritual coldness were serving God with fervor and zeal. And he encouraged us according to what Paul says in Philippians 2, uh, to, be, um, to hold fast to the word of life, uh, to, be, uh, to prove ourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in whom we shine as lights in the world. So the Lord encouraged us with that, with that passage last week. But I want to uh, go back to and not base my teaching today on uh, what Dave shared last week, but rather what my brother Ephraim shared early in the month And uh, some of you may remember, I know many of you were here or on Zoom uh, way back on October 3rd uh, when my brother Ephraim also shared from uh, John chapter 4. And uh, I was tremendously blessed by the words that he shared with us about Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And I wanted to go back and just sort of repeat and rehearse some of the things that the Lord spoke to us. Uh, through that passage and through Ephraim earlier in this month and then and maybe add a couple of other uh, thoughts to that. So uh, we're back in John chapter four where we started. You may know that the Gospel of John includes a number of long detailed personal conversations that the Lord Jesus had with some individuals that are not recorded in the other Gospels in the Synoptic Gospels. Nathanael in chapter one, Uh, Nicodemus in chapter 3, the woman at the well in Samaria outside the town of Sychar in chapter 4, which we're going to be looking at today. And and those are just a few. And uh, it's just powerful uh, insights that the Gospel of John gives us into Jesus' personal conversations with a variety of individuals from many different backgrounds. And some of them start off very simply. A tired rabbi sitting by a well, thirsty, a woman comes and he says, give me a drink. It started out as a really simple conversation, but quickly developed into a, a powerful encounter that this woman of Samaria had with the Lord Jesus, and it transformed her. It turned her world upside down. Nothing was the same for her or for her village after that. And I think the Lord wants to have dramatic personal Powerful encounters with each one of us, and not just at the day of our salvation, but every day throughout our lives, he wants to to transform us by his meeting with us and the things that he speaks to us. Earlier in this month, Ephraim said, "You know, it's fine for us to to talk about superficial things, shallow things like football or, uh, you know, shopping or uh, computers or uh, the weather or stuff like that. That's fine, but." If you spend time with Jesus, he's going to get a little bit deeper, a little bit more personal. Partway through this conversation, Jesus tells the woman to go call her husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, no, you've had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not even your own husband, in this you've spoken truly. Sir, she said, I perceive that you're a prophet. She could tell something, something strange was going on with this, with this young rabbi who asked her for a drink. Jesus has a way of drawing us in, and he drew her in, and he said to her, everyone who drinks this water is gonna get thirsty again, but the one who drinks the water that I give him, that, wa- that water will become in him a well, springing up to eternal life. He draws her in, and uh, it's powerful, and the Lord wants to, to draw you in, too. If you spend time with Jesus, if you hang out with him, he will change you. He will transform you. And he'll make you into a transformer of other people. The Lord wants to change us as he did her. The Lord wants to make us agents of change, as was true with the woman at the well. Earlier this month when Ephraim preached powerfully from this passage, he focused primarily on, I think, the first part of the passage, which is Jesus' conversation with the woman, which is incredible and overwhelming. And uh, what I'd like to do is take a little bit a closer look at the second part, uh, which is the effect not, not just that Jesus had on her, but that she had on her village and her acquaintances and the people that she knew. Like a lot of works of God, things start out very small. Give me a drink, pretty simple request. But things get more, get deeper and more complicated as they go along. And I think all, many of the great works of God, many of the great things that happen, God starts small. There was a couple that went into Bethlehem. The lady was pregnant, the wife was pregnant, and uh, there wasn't any room for them in the inn the single most significant event that's happened in the history of the universe. They couldn't find space for them in the inn, and she gave birth to Jesus and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a feeding trough where a cow had been eating. Things start small. Give me a drink. I'll give you more. And, 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 uh, and she, she received a lot more. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives several parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, what to, from what, what, to, with what shall I compare the kingdom of heaven? And one thing he says, one of the brief parables is Matthew thirteen thirty-three, where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took a little bit of leaven and she hid it in three pecks of meal, three pecks of flour, until the whole bunch, the whole batch was leavened. Jesus is a woman who hides a little bit of yeast, a little bit of leaven, into just a little bit of flour until the whole thing is transformed. There's several steps or several stages of transformation that we'll see here uh, in in John chapter 4. and We're going to start reading in verse 25. And I'd like to ask you, as we read these verses, to try to think about and look at the stages, the steps of transformation, what it is that the Lord is doing here because Jesus invited a woman to drink. He invites, makes a lot of invitations in the scriptures to drink. And Ephraim mentioned several of them. Uh, One of them was in Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, toward the very back of the Bible where he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And he says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of the water of life without cost. Transformation. And there are several stages by which this occurs. We're going to jump into the middle of the conversation, John chapter 4, verse 25. So I hope you'll follow along with me starting in verse 25. If my voice gets low, sometimes I trail off. Just uh, wave at me or say louder or throw something at me because I don't. I want you to, to be able to hear. And sometimes I have a tendency to, I've been told to trail off. John four twenty-five. The woman said, said to Jesus, by the way, just one more comment, um, the, um, the, ten, the tense of the Greek verbs that's often used in the New Testament and that John is using here is what's called the aorist tense. And what this means is that he's obviously reporting on a conversation that's already occurred, so the conversation is in the past, but he's using present tense verbs so to give us a sense of immediacy and a sense of, of freshness and power. So verse 25, the woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Verse 26, Jesus said, says to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, the disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and she said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he was saying to them, My food, he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Verse 34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, uh, there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes to the fields for they are white to harvest already he who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for it has been for in this case the saying is true one sows and another reaps i have sent you to reap that for which you did not labor others have labored and you have entered into their labor From that city, verse 39, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he's told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were saying to him, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed with them there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. Hallelujah. What a glorious account of a simple conversation that got a little bit deeper. Jesus comes to Sychar, Sychar comes to Jesus. We're still feeling the ripple effects of this event, of this conversation today, because, because the Apostle John recorded these words for us. The message has come down to us in the 21st century, and, it's, and it still has the power to transform and to change. I'd like to just spend a little time with you, just observing what's happening here in this passage. You know, it's been said, some of you may have heard that there are three parts to Bible study. The first part is observation. The second part is interpretation. What does it mean? The third part is application. How does it apply to our lives? And I think that we make the mistake sometimes of quickly going through the first part, the observation, to spend most time on the second part, the, uh, the uh, interpretation and the application. But the most important part in the first part of reading scripture is just seeing what's here? What's going on? What is being said? Let's let's observe. There's six steps that, that I have noted, six sort of stages in the transformation process about how an individual, a city, and even the world is transformed by an encounter with the Lord Jesus. And uh, we'll see these as we go through. And I just want to mention them uh, briefly to you just to list them uh, so that you'll, you'll recognize them when we come to them. The first is what I call expectation The second is realization. The third is the telling of others, the testimony. The fourth is the fruit, the results of that telling, of that testimony being given. The fifth is an invitation to the Lord to stay. And the sixth is what I call spiritual maturity, reaching the end, reaching spiritual maturity. So we're starting here in verse 25 with expectation. John 4.25, the woman says to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. This is a woman who is living her life in a posture of waiting, a position of expectation. It wasn't by accident that Jesus started talking to this lady of all the people that came to the well that day. There's a reason Why he spoke to her, she was waiting. She was waiting for something. She may have been a sinful person, but she was a person of faith who was waiting for Messiah. Have you ever been in a situation where you were watching someone, you you were aware of someone who was just waiting for something to happen, and their whole life was kind of like a posture, a position of waiting and of expectation? My sister-in-law is named Eloise and she has a little dog named Zoe, and Zoe is uh, totally enwrapped with Eloise. Her whole life revolves around Eloise, and she, pre- she pretends sometimes, Zoe, to, to pay attention to other people, but she really only cares about Eloise. It's very plain. I don't know if you've ever known a dog that was like that, but um, her, her life is very happy because she spends the whole of it at Eloise's feet, except... There are some times when Eloise leaves the house and doesn't bring Zoe with her. And this is a very upsetting thing to Zoe. And so what she does is she jumps up on the back of the couch that's near the, the window that looks out to the front of the house. And she watches Eloise leave. And she, she stays there watching, keeping a vigil, until Eloise comes back. And then finally, when Eloise comes back through the door, Zoe is very excited. She does this little dance around Eloise's feet. She's so happy to see her back. And, her whole life, you see, is, is waiting for Eloise to come back. And, and that's really, in a way, the, 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 the woman of Samaria, of Samaria, the woman at the well. She was waiting for Messiah to come. And, and she wasn't the only one. In fact, all of creation, all of the universe is waiting for the appearing of the Messiah. And this is what she says about him, which is really interesting. She says, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. What does this mean? She already had personally experienced this because Jesus told her everything she'd ever done, according to her words. He told her about the five husbands that she had had. He obviously knew her very well. He was Jesus, the Messiah, the declarer of all things. A couple of weeks ago, my brother Carl preached a powerful message here uh, from Isaiah 61. And uh, I'm going to just read the opening verses of Isaiah 61. And if you would like to turn to Isaiah 61, I will not stop you. Uh, Isaiah 61, this is a powerful message my brother Carl preached. And this is about the Lord Jesus' description of his own ministry. What does Jesus say prophetically through Isaiah? about what his ministry is going to entail. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus, the declarer, the Messiah, the proclaimer, He is the one who proclaims liberty to the captives, who proclaims the good news of the kingdom, who proclaims um, the the year of the Lord's favor. This is the declarer. This is the one that 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 the woman was waiting for. He will declare all things to us. This brings us to the second step, the second stage of the transformation that Jesus brings, that Christ brings when he comes into a a person's life, when he comes into a town, when he comes into the universe. The second stage is what I call realization. Realization. Because after she had expressed to him her expectation that, that Messiah was coming, in verse 26, Jesus says this, I who speak to you am he. The simplest of all statements, the most most earth-shaking thing that human ears have ever heard. Woman, you've been waiting for the Messiah to come. You're talking to him. It's me. The time of your waiting is over. Can you imagine? how, uh, how uh, shattering that must have been of all of her expectations, how, how her world was turned upside down, how astonishing that this was, the realization that the wait is over. You're talking to him. Wow. Do you want to have an encounter with Jesus like that? A couple of weeks ago when Carl was preaching from Isaiah 61, he also made mention of the passage in Luke 4 where Jesus reads the, this, this passage. He visits the synagogue, and they give him the scroll, and he finds the place in Isaiah 61, reads the very words that we just wrote, read, and he sits down. He talks about what the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to do, and he sits down. And, and Luke re- records in Luke 4, 21, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed. On Jesus and this is what he said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing I'm here the coming one is come it's now Wow incredible what an astonishing revelation what an incredible actualization of the hope of all of the ages Was there ever something that you personally were really looking forward to seeing, and uh, then when you see it, it's even better than you expected? For years I had wanted to see Yosemite Falls, which is the highest waterfall in the United States. um, Seen beautiful pictures of it, thought, boy, it'd be really fun to go there and see that someday. And so a couple of years ago, we actually got a chance, with some, Karen and I and some extended family members took the trip out to the Sierra Nevada, a beautiful mountain range, and um, we're we're walking along a, t- a trail that par- parallels the Merced River, and we come around a bend, and there it is, Yosemite Falls, and I, and I said, "Wow, this is even better than I expected." The pictures don't do it justice. You've seen a picture of Yosemite Falls, you ain't seen Yosemite Falls when you see it with your own eyes. It's it's astonish- it's astonishing, and this is just one one of of millions and billions and trillions of images of God's glory. And the the glory of Yosemite Falls, as amazing as it is, dims by comparison with what was experienced in Samaria and in Sychar and by a woman and by the men she talked to that day. I who speak to you am he. If you have a good translation of the Bible, um, you will notice maybe that the last word of that verse is italicized. When it says, I who speak to you am he, the word he is not in the original, the original text. John didn't write that. What Jesus said to this woman at the well was, I who speak to you am. I am. This is Yahweh, the same one that appeared to Moses, the burning bush same one that we've been reading about in our study of the book of Exodus. I am Yahweh, I am, is here talking to you, lady, face to face. Wow, incredible. I am is the basis of a long series of statements that the Lord Jesus makes in the Gospel of John in this amazing, unique book that we call the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the resurrection and the life. I am a fountain of eternal life. I am the door of the sheepfold. All of the things that Jesus said he was, he is, I am. It all starts with this. So now after this woman is standing there, totally dazed and stunned and and filled with with maybe belief, maybe some doubt, maybe some shock, maybe some joy. Uh, there comes a kind of a welcome uh, interruption in the story because the disciples come back in verse 27 and they, they find him talking to the woman and they think it's a little strange. They don't have enough nerve to ask him why he's talking to her. So they start talking about food. And they say, uh, you know, Rabbi, I eat something. They want to talk about lunch, you know. The flesh always wants to bring things down to a lower level and. Um, so he says to them, I have food to eat that you don't even know about. And they say, "Well, somebody must have came and given him something to eat while we were gone. How did that happen? And he said, no, my, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So uh, this is what happens. The woman leaves. Uh, verse 28. Uh, it says, the woman left, the, left her water pot and went into the city, and she said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? This is the third step of the transformation process, the telling of others. The third step, the telling of others. She went away into the city, and she went to tell them about the Christ. This is a natural, maybe almost an automatic outgrowth of a genuine encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I say to you that I know the Lord and that I have met him and that he has revealed himself to me, but I keep it completely to myself and I never tell anybody else about it, you might have a right to ask me, is this really real? How can you have an amazing revelation like that and keep it to yourself? Have you ever talked to people that say, well, my religion's a private thing. I don't really talk to anyone else about it? Never understood that. I've got to get up. I've got to tell the men. So she goes into the city and she says, come see a man who told me all the things that I've done. And it says in verse 30 that they went out of the city. This is the men that she talked to. And they were coming to him. Why did they believe her? Why, did they, why didn't they think, you know, this is just some nutty woman? Why should we listen to her? Text doesn't tell us, but I think it's because of the, of the sincerity in her heart and the intensity of her feeling. This guy told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? What was the reaction of the men? Well, maybe she's a fruitcake, but we better go and check. Let's examine this for ourselves. Let's go. And let's see whether what she says is true. The telling of others. There's an old gospel song by still my favorite of all time gospel singers, Andre Crouch. Uh, some of you may go back far enough to remember this, I'm not sure, but um, it's called I'm going I'm to Keep On Singing. And I think we may have a chance to, to hear it a little later in the, in the service, I'm not sure, but. Um, he says, Andre Crouch says, I'm going to keep on singing. I'm going to keep on shouting. I'm going to keep on lifting my voice and let the world know that Jesus saves. He says, the black man has got to know Jesus saves. The white man has got to know. Everybody's got to know. And then he says this in the, in the course of this song. He said, I can't keep it to myself. I've got to tell somebody else. I'm going to keep on lifting my voice. And this is the, the spirit, I think, of, of the woman. I can't keep this to myself. I got to tell somebody else. Got to tell somebody else. Now, there's a a kind of a break in the story in verses 32 through 38, which I'm not going to read again, but we read a few minutes ago. But this is Jesus' discourse about the harvest and uh, about uh, the disciples' participation in the harvest. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The fields are white to harvest. And what's going on here is sort of like the subtext of the story. And like many passages in scripture, you know there are layers. The top layer is the events that happen, Jesus' conversations, the effect they have on the woman and on on the men that she talked to about him. But what's going on underneath the surface is this is the harvest. The fields are white. And Jesus is giving a teaching right in the middle of this, uh, of this narrative about the harvest. And uh, so the Lord is giving it to us sort of with a one-two punch. This is what happened, and this is what it means. This is what's going on beneath the surface. And that's what Jesus' uh, discourse is about in the middle of this passage. Then we, that, this brings us to what I, th- I see as the fourth step in the transformation process. And it's uh, verse 30 and then jumping to verse 39. It says in verse 30, which we mentioned already, that the, the, the men went out of the city and they were coming to Jesus. In verse 39, it says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. And so when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And many more believed because of his word. This is the fruit of the telling, the results of the testimony, the word that the, the woman gave about Jesus and about her experience with him. This is the powerful message of the, the results, the fruit of the powerful message. And it's, it's, I think it's really significant in verse 30 that they left the city. They could have just said, well, thanks for telling us. That's nice to know. But we're kind of busy now. But they said, no, we're going to get up. We're going to go and we're going to see, see for ourselves. They left their homes. They came to Jesus. And it says in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans believed in him because of her, of her word. And then in verse 41, it said that it's kind of like a second wave. After they invite Jesus to stay, many more believed. So a lot believed in the beginning. Jesus stayed two more days, and a whole lot more believed after that. It's the fruit. Of the testimony being born. And this is the result of the transforming power of the Lord Jesus coming into their lives. Believing in the Word. And you know, that's what this book, the Gospel of John, is all about. It's about believing the testimony. And John draws back the, the curtain for us it, toward the very end of the book. Uh, you, you don't have to turn there, you can if you want, but this is uh, John uh, chapter 20, verse, 13, verse 31, John twenty, thirty one. 31. This, John is saying that, uh, has, has recorded some, some wonders, some signs, and he says, many more signs Jesus did, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why I wrote all this, John says, is that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you would have life in his name. That's the purpose of all of this. In the first century, in Sychar, in the 21st century, in Philadelphia, that's what's going on as Jesus transforms us. The fifth step, in the transformation process, as I see at the fifth stage, um, is a little bit uh, more subtle, and it's in verse 40. John four forty. It says that many of the Samaritans came to Jesus, and they were asking him to stay with them. And they, he stayed there two more days. He stayed two days with them. The fifth step in the transformation process is the invitation to Jesus to stay. Will you stay with us, Lord Jesus? If this is the Messiah, let's hang on to him. Let's not let him get away too quick. Let's soak up as much as we can. The invitation to stay, it's a desire for permanence. It shows the genuineness of your touch with the Lord. This is not a passing phase. When I first got saved, you know, I'd been into a lot of things. And, you know, my mom and other people who knew me said, well, this is just another phase. And he'll probably get over it, you know. It wasn't a passing phase. It's something the Lord started in my life and in your life that's not just a a flash in the pen, but something that's going to last for eternity, a permanence. This is the, stay with us. Stay with us, Lord Jesus. Don't go away. Don't go away. It's the old principle, stick with the winner. I had a personal experience with this principle. um, Many years ago, right after I had graduated from college, well, just a few years ago, um, I I decided to buy a car, the first car I'd ever bought. And uh, it was an old, beat-up, used car with a stick shift. And I I bought this stick shift car, but the only problem is I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. So I thought, well, OK, the Lord provides. And this is the way the Lord provided. My mom had a friend who volunteered to teach me to drive the stick shift. And uh, she just happened to be a really beautiful young lady, which I didn't have a problem with. Uh, so uh, she gave me stick shift lessons. And um, she went, I was a, snow, a slow learner because I'm pretty uncoordinated. And so, you know, a couple of times I was trying to shift and the car kept stalling out. And she said, no, now you've got to pressed down on the gas really gradually and let up the clutch really gradually at the same time, you know, and I tried it again and I thought, well, it worked for a minute and then it stalled out again and I said, well, this is fine as long as you're with me. Maybe you just should stay with me all the time. And she said, that would be nice, with a smile. And uh, she did. So <laughs> this, is my, I, this is my illustration of sticking with a winner. <laughs> so uh, I, I know, I know, I'm smart. I know how to stick with the winner. And these Samaritan guys, they were pretty smart, too. They said, Lord, would you, would you stay with us? See, here's the miracle of transformation. This is the way it works. There's a kind of a mutual invitation. There's a reciprocal invitation. Jesus invites us. Jesus is waiting for us to invite him. A couple of chapters later in John chapter 7, uh, verse 37, if you want to write it down, John 7:37. Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast and he shouts, cries out with a loud voice and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Very similar to the, what he said to the woman at the well. He says uh, "On to, to everyone on the last day of the feast, the invitation wasn't just for her. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus the great inviter. Did you know that Jesus is not just the inviter, he is the invitee. He is waiting to be invited. Stay with us, Lord Jesus. Stick around. Jesus wants righteous people to invite him, he also wants sinners to invite him. In fact, there's one really particularly scaly group of sinners that Jesus describes toward the end of the Bible in the third chapter of the book of Revelation. This is a a bad bunch. He says about them, you say you're rich and you have need of nothing, but you don't know that you are wretched and poor and miserable and blind and naked. The lukewarm Laodicean church, a lot of times in a lot of ways like the lukewarm Christian church in the 21st century, I think. What did Jesus do? What would he do with a group of of messed up, wretched, blind sinners like that? Would he pluck them and drop them into the lake of fire? What will he do to people that are so carnal? Behold, he says to them, I stand at the door and knock. This is Revelation 3.20. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, anyone, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Jesus, the great inviter, is waiting to be invited in. And he has tremendous promise for those who will do that. This brings me to what I see as the sixth step in the transformation that Jesus brings about to a woman, to a city, to us, to the universe. We've come all the way from expectation, realization, the telling of others, the fruit of that telling, the invitation. The last step, I think, I I sort of call um, the reaching of spiritual maturity, spiritual maturity. And this is what the, what the, what the men of, Samarita, of Samaria say, men of Sychar say in verse 42. They, they had believed because of Jesus' word. And they said this to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard for ourselves and we have come to know that this one is indeed the savior of the world. It's astounding. Thank you, lady, very much for telling us to come out of the city and meet him. But it's not just your testimony. We've heard for ourselves. And we have come to know that this one, this one is indeed the savior of the world. This is spiritual maturity. This one it becomes real. If you're tr- following Jesus or trying to follow Jesus because someone else told you you ought to do it, it's, it may not last. But if you've heard for yourself, and if you come to know that he's the Savior of the world, and that, that coming to know is more than you understand just a, an acquaintance with some historical facts. You know, a lot, anybody can recite a creed. It's coming to know personally with a kind of a, a, a knowledge that you can build your life on the foundation of your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. This one is indeed the Savior of the world. He's more than a prophet, more than a prophet. You know, God didn't just love the lady. He didn't just love the men of Sychar. He did. He didn't just love people in the 21st century. He loves us today, and not just in Philadelphia, but all over the world, and not just believers. He loves unbelievers too. God loves the whole world. In fact, probably won't surprise you to hear that God loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It all started with a thirsty rabbi asking a woman for a drink. Pretty incredible. Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for your word. That you speak to us in so many ways, Lord. Thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this morning, Lord, and for your anointing on the worship team. And Lord, thank you for your word going forth at Harvey Cedars among our youth and our leaders down there, Lord. And Lord, thank you for speaking to us a couple of weeks ago through Carl about um, your anointing, Lord Jesus, to preach the gospel and to proclaim liberty to the captives in the year of the Lord's favor. And Lord, thank you for uh, last week talking to us out of Isaiah 65 about um, how you, how you want a remnant who will serve you just to, just the privilege of being servants. Lord, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation to hold forth the word of life and to shine like lights in the world. And Thank you especially, Lord, for speaking to us earlier this month through my brother Ephraim and uh, Lord, just for your encounter with the woman at the well and Jesus, you transformed her and you transform us. Thank you for loving us so much.